Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. So I want to start with a little show and tell. Uh, I have a little crocheted, I think it's crocheted, sign or placard thing. I keep it in my study, and if you guys have have been in there, you've seen it before, maybe you've seen something similar elsewhere. And so I'm going to show it to you now, and it's one of those, those hidden eye type things, okay? And if you can see what it is, I don't want you to shout it out right away, okay? So just take a look at it. It's going to be small for you folks in the back, and so you kind of get a pass on this. But uh, for, the, for the rest of you, we'll, we'll give that a shot, okay? Now, some of you, you've noticed this in my study before, if, if you've come in. Now, um, okay, before we say what it is, show of hands, who can see, who can see what it is? Okay? And some of you, you don't want to raise your hand. I won't make you raise your hands if you can't. But fair to say about half of us could see it and half of us can't. So, okay, all at once, all of you who can see it, what does it say? Jesus. Jesus. And the rest of you are like, is that in Chinese? What is that? Well, so here's the thing. Here's the trick to it. Our eyes are naturally drawn to the light spaces. And so the first thing that we look at when we, we see this is we look at the white we try to make sense of, of what is that? It just looks like some random shapes and figures. But the trick is looking at, at what's called the negative space. The negative space is the dark parts that are made, created by the white. Okay? So when you look at the negative space, now can you start to see it? You can start to tell that the name of the Lord is right there. J-E-S-U-S. It's one of those things that once you can see it, you can't unsee it, right? It's just there. Let's see if it'll stay for me here. It will not. I'll leave it like that. There you go. It's this contrasting way of seeing versus looking at the light versus looking at the negative space. And I think this is illustrative of a distinction that Martin Luther made. He once made this distinction between what he called, on the one hand, a theology of glory and on the other hand, a theology of the cross. Now, a theology of glory doesn't just focus on glory and glorious things. Of course, glory is a, a biblical theme. It's important. It's a good thing. And on the flip side, the theology of the cross doesn't just only talk about or look at the cross of Jesus. It includes the resurrection and other things. But fundamentally, these two contrasting theologies that Martin Luther talked about, the theology of glory and the theology of the cross, are two contrasting ways of seeing. The theology of glory looks to the light places, to the positive. The theology of the cross sees God present in the negative space. What I want to do this morning is to unpack this distinction and see how it is present and, and uh, evident in today's gospel. The scene from the Passion, and in particular with these two thieves on either side of our Lord on the cross. I want to unpack this distinction because it's vital for you and me to understand where do we look if we really want to see the heart of God revealed. And I'm going to tell you a story of a woman for whom this distinction made all the difference. But let's start with just this side here. The theology of glory. I want you to think back about 12, what, 14 years ago now, Hurricane Katrina 
hit New Orleans. You remember this, of course. It was an awful thing. An entire city and, in a sense, an entire country was left picking up the pieces, trying to make sense of this awful tragedy, this, this mysterious thing. And for, for people who are believers and Christians wondering, how could God allow this to happen? But there were some people who, for whom this was not a mystery at all. One noted televangelist got up on his television show, and for him, this was not a mystery. He said, people, this is New Orleans. It's a den of sin and wickedness. Clearly, this is God's judgment on this city for all of its sinfulness. Not quite so far back, there was that awful shooting in Las Vegas. And again, you heard similar people speaking out on television or in media outlets, Christian pastors, leaders of the church, saying, well, yes, of course this happened in Las Vegas. What happens in Las Vegas stays in Las Vegas. They got what they had coming to them. God's judgment rendered in real time for all of us to see. Incidentally, these same people don't point out the fact that in New Orleans, in Las Vegas, there were Christian people, that the same judgment fell on both the just and the unjust. And nor indeed do we hear from these people when there are shootings in churches and awful tragedies happening to Christians. What then? But that reaction, that response, is typical of this theology of glory. A theology of glory treats the, the happenings of our world as if they were transparent windows into the will of God. So that you can look right through the, a hurricane happening in New Orleans and say, oh yes, it's very clear what's happening here. I can see just what God was planning and just what he intended in this instance. You look at events and actions in history, in the world, and in our own lives as if it were perfectly plain and apparent what God was up to in all of that. Now, I will say that there are instances, there are times in our lives where we say hindsight is 2020, right? When you look back and you can say, oh, yes, Lord, I can see in retrospect what you were up to in, in my life. But how many of us at the time can look at the things that are going on and say, oh yes, this, it's clear why this is happening or what God is up to? Friends, I think that leads to a dangerous presumption. And in fact, that presumption is apparent in this gospel reading today. Here is Jesus strung up on a cross and all of the religious leaders are mocking him. And why are they mocking him? Why are they mocking him? They are saying, if you are the Christ, then come down from the cross. If you are the, the king of Israel, save yourself. See, they have in their minds this theology of glory. Of course, they would never call it that. That's not what I'm saying. But they have in their mindset that, okay, it's clear that if this guy were really the Christ, if he were really the savior that we were waiting for, he wouldn't be crucified it's plain as day for anybody with eyes to see. We can look through it as clear as a clear window. This is not God's intention. This is not God's will. If it were, this guy would be able to come down from the cross. And in fact, the one thief himself is railing against Jesus. The word in the Greek text is that he was blaspheming Jesus. 
He says to him, you are the Christ, aren't you? Then save yourself and us. He's blaspheming Jesus because he has this idea in his mind that if you are the Christ, then you would be coming down and you would be saving us. It would be apparent for us to see. Friends, when we have this understanding of God's way of working in the world, it can only in the end lead to despair. Because as much as we might like to think that the world is a window into the will and workings of God, we have a God who tells us, who's very upfront about this, my ways are not what? Your ways, says the Lord. And my thoughts are not your thoughts. Mysterious are his ways, wonderful are his works, but more often they are beyond our knowing and we can't make sense of it. If we think that we can just peer right through it and see what God is up to, well, we might even end up mocking the very Son of God. So this theology of glory has serious, I would say, fatal problems. It's a theology of, of winners, that everything is always going to go well for us, and we can see what God is up to. But let's contrast that then with what Martin Luther called the theology of the cross, a theology that sees God present in the negative space, that finds him in the most unlikely places. There's an author journalist by the name of, of Chris Arnaid who had this kind of discovery. He went out for a year and went throughout America into urban ghettos, into rural forgotten communities, looking for people that he called part of back row America. And he tells this story. He, he was in this difficult, bad neighborhood in the Bronx, okay? awful neighborhood in New York. And he's driving around and he sees this woman. And from her garish outfit, it's clear what kind of lady this is. She is a woman of the night, shall we say. But he pulls over to talk to her, just to have a conversation with her and to photograph her as he would do with all of these folks that he would talk to. He was, he was patient. He wanted to hear them out. And she started telling him, his, telling him her story, saying how she had been on the streets since she was a teenager. She got addicted to heroin when she was 12 years old, that she'd been impregnated by many different men, and that now she did what she had to do just to survive. Chris, he, he takes her picture and he's writing down her story and he asks her a question that he asks all the people he interviews. He says, how would you like to be known or identified? How would you like me to say who you are as I'm writing this up? And she says, I want you to just tell the truth. I'm a prostitute. I'm a mother of six. And I'm a child of God. Only when we have eyes to see God present in the negative space would we be able to recognize his presence and working there. It looks like of all the places that are cast off and all the people who would be rejected and ignored by the Lord, but here's one who knows that she's beloved by the Savior. 
A theology of glory looks at all the, the workings of the world and sees them as a transparent window into the will of God. But the theology of the cross recognizes these things for what they are. As Paul says in that famous passage in 1 Corinthians, we look as in a mirror dimly, darkly. We see in the negative space. In fact, the, the word that's translated as darkly or dimly there is literally enigmatically. This world presents itself to us as a riddle more often than not. Wondering, God, what are you up to here? Why is this happening? What are you doing? Whether it be out there in the world or whether it be in our own lives, we're wondering, Lord, it's not clear to me what you are up to here. I'm seeing in a mirror dimly. But God says to us, he doesn't say, here's exactly what I'm doing. He doesn't give to you and me the playbook and the play-by-play. The -play. Here's all that's happening. But what he does say is look for me here on the cross. See me present in the negative space and know that there is my heart revealed for you. That other thief, he gets it. He's a true theologian of the cross, the patron saint of theologians of the cross, we might say. Because he's the one, even there on the cross, as everyone else is railing against the Lord, he sees that this man with the crown of thorns strung up on a throne of wood, here is the true king. They had put that sign over his head, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. They put it there to mock him, just to be ironic. But it was ironic, because this truly was the king. And so that thief says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And the Lord tells him, I tell you the truth, today you will be with me in paradise. If we always go looking for the Lord on top of the podium in the winner's place, we'll miss it. But if we look down among the losers, among the outcasts, among the broken, there we see our Lord present and active for you and me. Only when we can find God in the negative space are we able to have that peace and indeed paradise itself because we know that we have a Lord who reveals himself in the midst of suffering and shame, who is the Lord of losers. I want to tell you a story in closing. I want to tell you a story of a, a woman who came to this realization. Her name is Kate Bowler, and she's my age, and uh, by all accounts, she was a winner in the game of life. By her mid-30s, she was already a professor, a professor of church history at a prestigious university. She had a wonderful family, loving husband, beautiful kids. Um, she'd already had her first book published. It was a bestseller. In fact, the book was entitled Blessed. Everything about her life looked to be exactly that, that she was blessed, that she was one of the winners in life. But then at age 35, she gets diagnosed with stage 4 cancer. And just like that, she finds herself on the losing end, feels like she's in this utter tailspin. And people, people don't know what to say. What do you say to a 35-year-old mother who suddenly has been diagnosed with terminal cancer? People were trying to say good things, trying to say what they, they thought you should say. Hey, everything happens for a reason, which might be true but isn't always helpful, right? One day, this well-meaning lady, neighbor, neighbor lady, comes and knocks on the door, and she says to Kate's husband, I heard about what happened to your wife. I just wanted to reassure you and to encourage you, everything happens for a reason. 
And her husband says to her, says to the lady, I'd like to hear it. And she says, what, what do you mean? I'd like to hear the reason that my wife has cancer. Can you tell me now? That kind of shut the woman up at that point. Here she was in this tailspin, not knowing what God was up to and feeling like the worst of losers. Lord, how could you do this to me? But one day she has this moment of realization. She's at the hospital and, and she's in the midst of her treatment. And her nurse in the oncology ward is this woman her age named Meg. And Meg looks in that moment like everything that Kate is not. She seems happy and confident. She's beautiful and vivacious. Here is a clear winner in life. And Kate just feels it like salt rubbed into the wound. Everything that she was, but now she has lost. But then one day, in the middle of a treatment, Meg comes and sits down next to Kate. She puts her arm around her and she says to her, she's almost whispering, she says, I just want you to know that I've lost a child. And she was saying that to her as if to say, you know what? I'm on the losing team too. And that's okay. That's okay because I belong to the Lord of losers, the God who reveals himself in the negative space, a savior who came not in great victory and pomp and circumstance, but who came in lowliness and humility, who reveals his power in the midst of his weakness, who overturns the tables of all of our expectations and shows the heart of God on a cross in his death for you and for me as his blood was spilled for all the sin of the world. This is not what looks like a victory. This is not the savior that we thought we wanted, but it's better. It's the one that we needed. It's the God who has come to us down in the the midst of our depths and the dregs of all the negative space of our life and says, I am here, child, for you. Look, you and I might think we want a God uh, who has the power of positive thinking. And on some days, maybe that works. But I'll tell you what, that God is not strong enough to bear the burden that you and I bear each and every day. I need a lowly Lord who comes on a donkey, who comes to lift up this load from you and me, who comes for the last, the lost, and the least, for those that society has forgotten, for those who are in pain and angst and wondering where is God in the midst of this. We are looking into this mirror dimly and darkly. It presents to us enigmatically, where are you, Lord, in all of this? And he says, here I am on a cross for you. I had a teacher who said, he said, you know, I think I could be a theologian of glory on the sunny days. The problem is it's cloudy so doggone often. And for that, I'm grateful for a Lord who made himself known on a cross. A savior whom you and I see for us in the negative space. Amen. May the peace of God that surpasses all understanding keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.